You ever felt like uh, life was just overwhelming to you? You ever had that feeling? Maybe there was a task before you that seemed larger than your skill set and patience. Maybe it's a project, a project that you had to lead and there were lots of opinions of how it ought to be done and there was a lot at stake. Maybe you felt a little overwhelmed because of a person whose shoes you had to fill and he or she was incredibly gifted, almost revered, and you just thought, I don't know if I can measure up, but I've got to do this. I could go on with these kinds of situations that are characteristic of life, but today we're going to be talking about some keys to overcoming timidity, insecurity, inferiority, keys to overcoming some of the overwhelmingness of life, and we're going to learn from God and a man named Joshua who understood quite well what it means to feel overwhelmed. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open it to Joshua chapter 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, And the sixth book is the book of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 1, if you'd turn there. uh, We're going to be looking at this passage, learning from God, and looking at the life of Joshua, things that God had to say to him, because God in this passage is calling Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land, and he's doing that because Moses is now dead. And God wants a new leader for the people of Israel, and he's pointing the finger at Joshua. Do you think that would be... An intimidating assignment. You think so? Uh, Let me help you even more fully identify with how intimidating it would have been. Some some of what had to be going through Joshua's mind and heart as God is speaking to him in the verses we're going to read in just a few moments. Okay, So so just track with me and then we'll read the passage. So I want you to identify with some of what Joshua had to be feeling as God addresses him in Joshua 1. So we're going to give you a context and then we'll read the passage. Okay? Here's what Joshua was feeling. He's thinking to himself, Moses was educated among the elite leaders of Egypt. Joshua was not, right? Moses spoke with God at the burning bush that was not consumed. And then he prophesied to Pharaoh each of the miraculous ten plagues that were going to come upon the land of Egypt before they happened. That's what prophecy means. Joshua didn't do that. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and, listen to me, through the Red Sea. And we're not talking like little reed sea, like some commentators say. We're talking probably the Gulf of Aqaba, okay? This is where it was if if you really want to do your homework. Gulf of Aqaba. Hmm. Thousands of feet at most places except for a couple where they most likely crossed. Did Joshua do that? No. Moses personally received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. Joshua was there, but did not receive them. Moses petitioned God successfully for manna, water, and meat as Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua did not do that. Moses instructed the leaders of Israel on how to construct the sacred and miraculous Ark of the Covenant and its resting place, which was the Tabernacle of God. Joshua did not do that. Moses recorded for posterity and spiritual training the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then he guided the children of Israel to the threshold of the promised land. Joshua did none of those things. 
Can you imagine being called upon after the person that you're going to follow has done that kind of stuff and everybody revered him like they did Moses and still do to this day? Okay, think about that. Can you imagine being called upon and expected to fill those shoes to carry on that kind of a legacy? That was what God was asking Joshua to do. And with that in mind, I want you to listen carefully to the instructions that God gave to Joshua and, ironically and interestingly enough, gives to us as well. Joshua chapter 1, let's pick up at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 9. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said to him, Moses, my servant, is dead, therefore the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. And I might add, let's just pause right there. That's actually a chunk of land that is bigger than Israel presently occupies. Why do I say that? Don't be surprised if one of these days the borders of Israel expand. Probably within our lifetime. Don't be shocked about that. It is just prophecy once again happening. Verse 5, God continues, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Then he goes on, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, either turning to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You get the sense in these verses that God wanted Joshua to be bold and courageous, perhaps as opposed to timid and insecure. Of course, that's, it's patently clear if you just count how many times he says, be bold and courageous. He's a bit clear about that, emphatic. The truth is, though, God wants all of us to become more bold and courageous and less timid and fear-filled. That's what he wants, not just for Joshua, but for every one of his people, every one of his children, including you, including me. And that's part of why he lays out here for Joshua, and I believe for us, a godly plan for rising above timidity, insecurity, inferiority, the overwhelmingness of life. God lays out here for us three keys to becoming strong and courageous in life and leadership. These are not the only keys, but these are foundational ones. And for this generation, really for every generation, the keys that God lays out here are counterintuitive. They run contrary to everything that is within our nature. I would wager that 
Most of the leadership books that we've read, most of the the life management, life directing kinds of books that, that help us to chart a course for our lives, omit these keys. And yet they are foundational. They are foundational, essential to the health and well-being, the success, the prosperity of God's people, including you and me. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to look at these. And uh, I want you to reflect on them, not just today, but I hope that you'll reflect on them in the days ahead. And that you'll emulate them. Put into practice what God is saying here. The first key to becoming strong and courageous in life and leadership and less insecure and timid is that you and I need to obey Scripture carefully, is what the text says. Tells Joshua this, tells us this. Obey Scripture carefully. Look again at verse 7 in your Bible there. It says, be strong and very courageous. And then it says, be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left, the passage says. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. I mean, he's just saying, obey all of Moses' instructions. Obey them carefully. I mean, and for Joshua, that was Genesis to Deuteronomy. That was, that was the section of Scripture that had been compiled at that point. And so God you know, is handing that to Joshua and saying, don't deviate from this to the right or the left. Don't, don't detour. Don't look for creative alternative routes. Do what the Scripture says. To us, we understand that there's Genesis to Deuteronomy. There's the prophets. There's the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. It's, so it's now 66 books of a Bible. God is saying to us, he's saying, this is my word, obey all of my instructions carefully from Genesis to Revelation. Don't deviate from them, don't detour from them, don't look for creative alternative routes that will pacify the culture or make you feel better in some context. Saying, don't veer either to the right or to the left. So I was reflecting on this, I just thought, God's saying, I don't want you to treat my word like a Pandora app. Okay, look at this. this is, how many have cell phones? Okay, that, come on. Fess up, fess up. Many of you have cell phones. And so many of you have got this Pandora app on your phone. And, and if you don't, it's actually a pretty good app. I like it, uh, just for the gravy there. Um, here we have uh, Bing Crosby. You're listening to It's Christmas Time. You know, you, Bing Crosby comes up, have yourself a merry little Christmas. And you go, oh, I like that. And you hit like. Like, right? See the little thumbs up? That's the like button. That's the like. You hit the thumbs up button. And you just, oh, and the song goes on, and then it ends. And the next song is, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. And, and after you finish gagging, uh, you recover the gag reflex. What do you do with Pandora? Thumbs down. You push, you push the dislike button, right? How many times are you going to hear, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas in the future on your Pandora app? Zero. Never. It will never come back again. Well, what's my point? Some of us do this with Scripture. Oh, I like, I think it's good when Scripture says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I am pro-marriage against adultery. I think stealing is bad. But lying in work, in the business setting, dislike and it never enters our mind again. In fact, we become adultery 
and stealing policemen. We see it everywhere. We point out every time it's wrong. But then lying comes along and, oh, it's like we've heard a word we've never even thought of. It's a, it's a concept that's foreign to me because I'm in politics or I'm in, I'm in business in some setting and it's, it's not to my advantage to take that truth of Scripture seriously. Do you, do you track with me? God is saying to Joshua, obey Scripture carefully. How much of it? All of it. All of it. I think some of us, you know, we hear that and we go, well, what about, we think about various things. Well, what about some of those verses in the Old Testament? See, we don't want to deal with, you know, the plethora of verses that apply specifically to me. We want to go to some obscure passage. What about boiling a goat in its mother's milk? Should I do that? I have to be honest with you. I want to smack people like that. And I confess and pray before you and God that that happens inside of me sometimes. Much of the world in our generation does not understand the Old Testament, and we don't. And even you and I often don't. We don't understand that there's a moral law in the Old Testament. There are four types of law in the Old Testament. There's a moral law, a ceremonial law, a sacrificial law, a civil law. I mean, that, and each of them have the concept of our generation that we're lost on. We don't understand that laws have boundaries. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's a scope within which a law has relevance. Some of the laws of the Old Testament apply to Israel specifically as a nation in ancient times, have no relevance to today. Some of the sacrificial law, sacrificing lamb before, before God, it was fulfilled. Read your New Testament. Why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? Because he fulfilled. I could walk you through this stuff and you'd go, oh, well, so that's why. The, you know, the whole boiling a goat in its mother's milk kind of thing. Do you suppose that that applies to you today? Just answer me. No. And this is not playing Pandora. Okay? This is not playing Pandora. This is reading the New Testament in addition to the Old Testament. It's just reading your Bible is all it is. And you can, you can begin to sort this out. What, what's my point? When Scripture says, carefully obey all of my laws, when God says that, He means all of my laws. All of them that apply to you. All of them. Certainly all of the moral law. The moral law of the Old Testament didn't go away in the New Testament. It didn't. Obey it. And look at what God says to Joshua. Then, you familiar with conditional phrases? Then, you will be successful in everything you do. I know what goes through my, some of our minds. We kind of think to ourselves, yeah, I, I'd like to believe that. I'd like that to be true. But how's that going to help me be successful as a computer programmer? How's that going to help me be successful as a plumber, as a teacher, as a mom, as a nurse, as an accountant, as a lawyer? How, how's that going to help me be successful? I want to believe this, but help me get my mind around it. Hear this out. I mean, the practices and teachings of Scripture will form in you when you and I obey them. The kind of character that is required for you and me to sustain lasting success in whatever endeavor we're a part of. In fact, what's amazing, you have the capacity to fail and still succeed in the Christian life if you are living out the teachings of Scripture. Did you hear what I just said? Have the ability to fail and still succeed. And it's not because you're that good. 
It's not because I'm that good. It's because God is. And the sovereignty of God is not that you had to fail. The sovereignty of God is that he has the power and the ability to bring good out of crap. That's what he has the power to do. Good out of evil, out of that which is bad and corrupt and broken and failing. He can do that in your life. He's telling Joshua and us. If we will choose to adopt a lifestyle where we obey Scripture carefully, it's a key to success and a key to becoming strong and courageous in life and leadership. And we become strong and courageous because it changes us from the inside out over time. That will become more clear as we go on here. Second key, though, to uh, becoming strong and courageous in life and leadership is, that, that shows up here in the text is really in verse 8 where God just instructs Joshua to study Scripture continually. To study Scripture continually. Look at the first verse of John 1.8 in your Bible there or on the screen. It says, study this book of instruction continually. God's saying, don't just take a pinball approach to Scripture. You know what I mean by that. I mean, don't just read whatever Scripture verse you happen to turn to next, ricocheting, you know, doing this around Scripture as though somehow God's going to speak to you or somebody with, with no thought to culture or history or what part of the Bible you're reading or, you know. He's just saying, don't do that kind of thing. Study Scripture. Saying, don't take a, a Xanax approach to Scripture. You think, what is that? I don't know what Xanax is. What is that? You feel anxious. And so you read Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. It becomes your verse for the day. And, and that's, you just hang there. And the next day, you feel really tired. And so that day, you pick Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. And, and let me just say that there's a sense in which this is pur- purposeful and God intends this. But what's wrong with the Xanax approach? Here's the dark side of it. It treats the Bible as if it primarily exists to make me feel better. The Bible is entirely about me. I have to feel better. And and, and so I read Scripture exclusively to feel better. The quickly, the Bible becomes all about me and finding comfort about my issues, whatever they be. You know, I'm always asking when I go to Scripture, how can the Bible serve me? How can it help me? rather than how can I more fully live out the life that the author of this book has called me to live. Do you see the difference? It's a subtle difference. God wants us to turn to Him for strength. He wants us to do that. He just doesn't want us to exclusively or primarily do that. He wants us to Study this book. Study is part of how you move beyond that. It's part of how you move beyond just a me-centered approach to Scripture. Which brings us to a, a third key to becoming more bold, more courageous, less timid, less, less insecure from a, from a heart and soul and life perspective. God's telling Joshua and us in these verses to meditate on Scripture 24-7. That's really the third, the third thing that God is saying here to us. We need to meditate on Scripture 
verse 8, Joshua 1 goes on to say this. Study this book of instruction continually. Then it says, meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, first of all, I just want to say, what does it mean to meditate? Uh, in our generation right now, I mean, the predominant view is meditation is when I sit in a yoga position and I get all calm and I empty my mind of everything. It's like I'm... I'm if, if Scripture says, meditate on this book day and night so you'll be sure to obey every... Does that sound like emptying your mind? Answer me. No, no, no. no. You are intentionally filling your mind. So on some level, this whole empty your mind business ought to be a red flag to all of us. Who would want my mind empty? Hmm. Hmm. Who would that be? Who who would want me to do out-of-mind kinds of things in the world, in my business and with my family, with with my spouse? This is not God. I mean, this is meditating on Scripture is all about filling your mind. It's all about saturating it, immersing your mind with Scripture. And not just, it's, it's like the Scripture just looks at it and God says, not just continually, he's, uh, he's making the point, He wants this to happen 24-7. Where do I get that? He's saying day and night in the text. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written. The best visual illustration I could think of for the value of meditating on Scripture is this. And uh, can we all see this well? You see it over there? All right. Anybody know what I'm doing? This is a T. That's always great. Would you like to drink it now that my fingers have been in it? After shaking all of your hands and all that. So. Look what's happening to the... That was water I put in there, right? It's water. And I put a tea bag in there. If, if our minds, if our lives, if our souls are the water... And the tea bag is the word of God. When you put the tea bag into the water, what happens? It transforms it, doesn't it? It transforms it. It doesn't taste the same anymore. It it doesn't even smell the same. It smells different. taken on a whole different color. It'll still satisfy your thirst. It's still liquid. The substance of it is the same, but it has been fundamentally, irreparably transformed into a whole different thing. Here's the point. When you and I meditate on Scripture 24-7, when we read it and take it seriously, when we read it, not just to say, is this true or not? When we read it and go, how do I obey this? Notice he's not saying, believe this even in the text. He starts out saying, do this. What's fascinating about, about the teachings of God is that often you can start out even not believing it. 
You can, you can disbelieve in tithing that God will give back to you. But God says, trust me in this. I dare you. Test me, God says. One time in Scripture, he says, test me. Give a tenth of, your, of what I give you. Give a tenth of it and just see if I don't give it back to you. You don't even have to believe. Just obey and watch what happens. That's one truth. There, this is over and over again in Scripture. In our generation, we want to believe before we obey. God, God always says, obey, and then you'll believe. You'll be convinced of the core of your being, and you'll go to your grave if that's what's required down the road. I mean, that's what happened to the apostles. Jesus says, come follow me. He didn't convince them. He said, come follow. And they obeyed. And then he said this, and they obeyed, and do this, and obeyed. And, and the amazing presence of God and the blessing that comes with that, the transformation that results with increasing amounts of God's word and God's presence in our lives is that we become fundamentally different people. We are bold. We have a a courage. Look at the Middle East. Look at believers throughout the Middle East who are enduring things. A lot of people fleeing Syria. Not all the believers. Many of them staying right there. You go, hot. We just look at them and think, you're crazy. No, it's, they're walking with God in a way that we're not. They've been transformed by his word in ways that we fundamentally have not. We've been transformed by our televisions. We've been transformed by other things. They've been transformed by the power, the presence, the word of God. And when that happens in the heart and life of a person... God says in verse 8, you'll prosper and succeed in all that you do. In fact, he says, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So I want to ask you this morning, what's keeping you from soaking more in God's word? What's, What's holding you back from fully steeping your life in the presence, the brilliance, the insight, the love, the character of God that comes from reading and studying and meditating on his word more. You know, poll after poll has been done over the years of why most of us don't spend more time in that and... uh, you know, the, the resounding, consistent response is time. Lack of time. There was a, 2000, a report done from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics in 2010. was made public. And this was uh, what was interesting to me as I read this uh, this past week. Do you know the average amount of time Americans spend per day in religious or spiritual activities. That's the category that they give. Religious or spiritual activities. So that would include prayer, Bible reading, worship, serving someone, etc. You know, all of that, all that kind of stuff or more. What, uh, what do you think is the average amount of time Americans spend per day in religious or spiritual activities? Nine minutes. Nine minutes. And that's got, we've got, we got to cram everything in there. Prayer... Bible study, serving someone, etc. What are we doing? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. We're working, we're sleeping, we're doing chores, things like paying bills and cleaning. We're, 
We're doing home auto appliance maintenance. We're cooking. We're attending sporting events. We're watching television. We're reading periodicals and novels, watching news. We're following social media. We're texting. I could go on. There's a lot going on. Many, many things going on. But let me remind all of us this morning, none of those things is going to help you or me overcome timidity. None of them are going to help us become more authentically, from the center of our being, more bold, more kind, more courageous, more godly. They may just help us be more busy or more socially appealing to somebody in our sphere of influence who we want to like us because we live a certain way on their little Pandora app of you. They say, like instead of dislike because he or she lives in some way that's inconsistent with my preferences. I want to remind you this morning, this book, the presence of God that comes with it, has the power to transform us in ways that we don't even have to believe. We just have to trust enough to try. Trust enough to obey. Because God's word is the source of character-filled strength, courage, prosperity, and success. There are hospitals all over the world, not because of socialism. Hospitals all over the world because of Christians who sacrificed giving their lives to go all over the world to build hospitals. There are counseling centers all over the world because of Christians who have done this. I I could go on with this, but the fact is there is no basis for love apart from God and the truth of this word. The only basis without this is self. What do I want? So God's appeal to Joshua and to us is don't live that way. Understand what's at stake. Give yourself fully to this book. Obey it carefully. Don't deviate to the right or to the left. I mean, don't detour. Don't look for creativity. Just do what my word says, and I will be with you. I will never forsake you. And you will prosper and succeed in all that you do. So what do you need to do to devote more of yourself to this book and to the God who authored it in the days ahead? Maybe some of us haven't been very devoted to this book because the truth is we've never really been very devoted to God. We've never really given our heart to God. We've known about God. We've just never died to self and chosen to live for him. Maybe some of us this morning need to look heavenward and just say, Lord Jesus... Forgive me for living for me. You created me. You died for me. You care about me. Here I am. Forgive me. Make me yours. Transform my life like a tea bag and transform water. Give my life flavor, aroma. Make it look different. I'll be yours. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. If you need to cry out to God and make him yours, you can do that this morning. We 
happy to pray with you down front here afterwards after we're all done. You got some other issue going on in your life, maybe you've got some health crisis or some other job thing or whatever that you'd like somebody to pray with you about, we'd certainly be happy to do that. Maybe you just haven't recovered from KU losing last night. (sighs) We'd be happy to pray with you about whatever, okay? Glad you made it this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you are merciful and kind to us. We don't deserve it, but we appreciate it. You've provided your word, not to tell us every detail about our lives, but to tell us the direction that we should go. And you want to form goodness, Christ-likeness in us. Help us to be good listeners, good learners. Help us to be less timid, more bold, more courageous. That we might be more like you. And the children of yours that have gone before, many who are even alive and living in our day, who are just bold and courageous brave on a scale that um, dwarfs us. Just invite you to fill us. We give our lives to you more fully again this day. Help us to order our lives in such a way that we give attention to things which really matter and not just do what everybody else says thumbs up to. And God will give you credit for the good that results in us and in our sphere of relationships. And we thank you that you'll never leave us. Go with us now as we leave this place. May, may the truths of your word echo in our minds and our hearts and shape our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray for this. Amen.